Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. In today's episode, Colonel Todd Halsey comes on the show and we talk about reimagining the dojo and how we train. You've probably noticed that episodes have not been coming out as frequently as they have in the past. This is from a combination of things, but I still love putting this material out for all of you. I wish there were more hours in the day. I'm still adding videos every week to the Spirit Aikido online program, which now has over 350 videos. In the latest series, I covered an initial response, which is useful for a wide variety of attacks. The purpose is to eliminate the confusion over how to respond by making the decision process simple and fast. I show a number of different endings and options to train and experiment with, all of which are simple and high percentage. I encourage you to check it out. My profound thanks to those who have subscribed to the program and those who have contributed to the PayPal tip jar. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, on with the discussion. All right, I'm welcoming back my friend Colonel Todd Halsey back to the podcast. It's been a while. We've uh, we had a great chat, uh, I think, uh, last year, and he came to me and posed kind of a, a question. We got to chatting a little bit um, about what if you were to start your own dojo, or what if you want to reimagine how you go about your training. Um, we all inherit uh, our martial art from our instructors, and we tend to fall into the process of passing along what we were taught as best we can remember it and probably missing a few things here and there to our students uh, and within there there's usually a little bit of signal loss there's a little bit of reinterpretation um, and this is uh, our discussion is on uh, how you would go about making sure that as you're going along not only you're learning as a martial artist but you're learning as a teacher and an instructor how to be a better teacher how to convey information uh, effective things to your students better to make sure they're well-rounded martial artists. And um, so welcome back to the show, Todd. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Thanks, Tristan. I appreciate you having me on again. And I'll, uh, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago, we recorded an episode, but I'll, I'll try to remember what we talked about then to bring Eesh. it. Uh, to, yeah, you know, it's been a while and a lot has passed since then. So I'm, I'm at a loss to come up with exactly what we talked about, but I do recall enjoying the discussion and uh, likewise for our listeners, Todd and I are in contact periodically where we'll exchange a few messages or emails or just chat a little bit. Um, I really like talking with them. And by the way, a little plug, he's got his own podcast. Maybe you could mention that. And uh, if people are interested, they can go check that out. Yeah, it's called the Dirt Wasp Podcast. And it uh, deals mostly in military and martial arts related subjects, but it's not exclusive to that. So there's about 93 episodes up. And uh, I invite everyone to look it up on their however they listen to their podcasts and uh, just go through the catalog of episodes and mm-hmm. and see if anything is, is, you know strikes their fancy and, and give it a listen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like I said, Todd's always always great to talk with. He's got some thought-provoking uh, ideas and, and experiences. So it's great to great to get that, which is why I was so excited about this episode. Um, so let's dig into this. Uh, reimagining the dojo or reimagining your training. Uh, we kind of came at this with the idea of of looking at, well, what if you were going to set up your dojo or a dojo or a practice group for the first time from scratch, starting from zero? How would you go about it or what would you do uh, to not so much the marketing side necessarily, although we can talk about that later, but how would you 
format your training? How would you go about setting, okay, what are we going to train? What Maybe what martial art are you going to train or, or how are you going to train your martial art? Would you do it the way that you learned it exclusively or would you look at other arts, other instructors to bring in influences that would improve upon the way that you were taught? Um, I've always felt that no matter what you get, it's not perfect. It's not flawless. It could always stand to be improved. And we as students are exactly the same way. We are not perfect. We are not flawless. As instructors, same thing. There's always room for improvement. Um, and, and I think this is one thing that, that becomes a, um, a burden on martial arts is that they can become stale when all they do is kind of rehash what they've always done they tend to get uh, lack, the training gets lackluster. It has holes in it that are never really addressed or, or noticed, or they're kind of glossed over. So nobody pays much attention to them. And, and arts over time get to be more and more specialized where the their scope gets narrowed down gradually, almost unnoticeably over time. And, uh, and that can be kind of an issue. So when you look at doing a new dojo, now you start almost with a blank canvas, which is nice because you can say, all right, I'm in charge of this. Now I can kind of do whatever I want. But that can also be scary when you say, well, but do you know enough to, to put a comprehensive curriculum together and a plan when you don't have a blueprint? And that blueprint is what you inherited from your instructor who, you know, that's kind of the easy way to get drawn into the the what do they call it? The, uh, the telephone game of the signal degradation over time. Right. So, um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's talk a little about that. Cause I think you, you, you would pose that question of what would you do if you started your own dojo or practice group and how would you go about it? So what are your thoughts on, on getting started or thoughts, questions, or kind of wherever you're at? Well, if we leave aside the real estate space that one would need for that, uh, because those are big considerations. Absolutely. Uh, next would be which martial <laughs> art are you going to teach? And just for the audience's um, mm -hmm. you know, edification, um, really the only martial art that I'm qualified to teach is firearms. Um, mm -hmm. but, but I've been a lifelong dabbler in uh, various martial arts. And I, mm -hmm. I think that... Um, one that the first consideration is which martial arts are you going to a martial art are you going to feature mm -hmm. and I, I think it's okay to have one school that teaches more than one style of martial art as long as you have the instructors competent to teach the different styles and you know certainly Absolutely. we know of people who who can teach um mm -hmm. uh, can teach brazilian jiu-jitsu and then can teach Bui thai at the same time because they're qualified mm -hmm. to do that. So the qualification of the instructor is also very important, but I think you really have to start with which martial art are you going to feature? Absolutely. And, you know, and as we spoke before you hit the record button, for example, I mean, if I, if I could in my area, I would, uh, I would uh, create an Aikido dojo. I, I'm not qualified to teach, but I would own it and then be a student there. Sure. And, and, now, and what, what makes you choose Aikido? That, that's interesting of of having that your interest in it, you know, without necessarily your background. So obviously Aikido is intriguing to you. So share share with your thoughts on your interest yeah, in sponsoring yeah, an Aikido, I mean, essentially. Well, Aikido 
for some reason it speaks to me. Um, let, let me not to get religious, but like I, I'm I'm Roman Catholic, but mm -hmm. the service that for some reason I cannot articulate why that or, that speaks to me the most is the the Presbyterian service, the high uh, service where the preacher, uh, the minister wears vestments. For some reason that speaks to me uh, mm -hmm. in ways no other uh, denomination service does, although my wife and I go to Catholic church. Um, but still, it speaks to me in a, in a way. Aikido speaks to me in a way I cannot articulate. Now, mm -hmm. my first martial art was judo. Mm -hmm. I think judo is the most awesome martial art that there is. Um, it is pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. When I was, and I did it in college, I'm, I think I'm too old now. I'll be 60 in a couple of months. Mm -hmm. And I, I just simply don't recover from, from throws and, 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 and stuff like that um, I, I, anymore. I mean, I, I was 20 when I was or 22, 21, 22, 23 when I was doing it. It's a big difference from being, you know, mm -hmm. 60 years old. Having said that, when I was uh, um, studying judo, uh, the, the judoka would talk about when they reached a certain level that they wanted to reach in judo, that they would get the quote, PhD in martial arts, mm -hmm. close quote, they would learn Aikido. Mm -hmm. And I think it always stuck with me um, to hearing these people, brown belts and black belts, talk about Aikido that way. And then also in the 1980s, and I don't know if it had anything to do with Steven Seagal or it came from some other place, um, police Aikido was a real thing. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, nobody, that had barely gotten here. I mean, if you weren't in Torrance, California or its vicinity, you never heard of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu before. Mm -hmm. And um, and it just wasn't around. You can get it, uh, you know, virtually every street corner uh, today, but, but nobody heard of it then. And it was police Aikido, a very specific thing, which is the, which is a martial art that, that the Japanese police still practice to this day. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, and it, it does have applications there. And then I studied Aikido twice in the past, and it just speaks to me in some way. Now, there's also the consideration of marketplace because there is an Aikido school, if you want to call it that, um, that is within convenient driving distance of my house, but it's at a, it's at a uh, community center. And, um, which is nothing wrong with that, but it, but it's not a that's not a martial arts school per se. So it's in the back room, um, you know, where where people would otherwise do aerobics or something, and and uh, it's not it's not a real martial arts school. So we're talking about a martial arts school. So I would look at Aikido not only because I have a particular personal interest in it, which I can't well articulate, and because it's not available in my marketplace. And it could very well, you know, and it could very well, um, you know, that alone offering something that's not offered locally could could, could mean sure. more people would come through the door to try it. So mm -hmm. I think find, figuring out which martial arts you want to feature um, is, is step one mm -hmm. in the process. What do you think? I, it is. And, and especially even not only the art specific, but what what you want to teach and what your experience as the instructor or the owner you want to have. Um, having started a dojo myself, I learned a bunch of lessons. And if I had to do it over again, you know, I have I wouldn't have done it exactly the way that I did it. Um, and so those are some those are some interesting lessons. One of one of which is, like you said, is uh, the renting the space. 
um, it's easy to, to spend money and rent a space and now be worried about filling it. Um, right. With the art that you chose, and I want to jump to this before we before we move on, which is uh, the, the police Aikido. And that reminds me that uh, an instructor in my lineage, Bill Sosa, uh, from down in, uh, he was in Texas. He wrote a book on the secrets of police Aikido is the title of the book, but he he took Aikido and actually taught it to law enforcement with the intention of this is how somebody, how a police officer might use it for uh, restraint, uh, for apprehension, arrest, you know, that sort of thing. And so I, I don't know, I never got to meet him personally because he passed away before I started, but I inherited his lessons from his students about that side of Aikido. Now, I don't know what his exposure was to the like Japanese police law enforcement training of Aikido that they did over in Japan, or if he just took, you know, the lessons to, to, from his side of where he learned Aikido, which he was from Koichi Tohei and Isao Takahashi, um, sensei, they, and they were, I don't, I know it more about Tohei than, than Takahashi, but, and then of course, Bill Sosa was big. He was a golden gloves boxer. So he had a lot of practical live fight type experience and wanted his Aikido to fit against that type of environment. And so he did, he made that kind of work and he was a very special instructor. Um, you know, everybody that has trained with him has remarked about his level of talent and not just as a martial artist, but as an instructor. So I, I like the, the police application. And this is one of those things where as you start a dojo and whether you choose your art and what you present to attract students, I think is very important. Are, do you want to train them to be sport martial artists, like competitors? Do you want to train them to be study the art for its own sake, like uh, things like memorizing katas and learning the choreography and learning the, the technical precision, almost like a dancer learns their dance or a musician learns their music, which is fine on itself? Or do you want to train them to be, if, if something goes down, you want to train them to to see that they have the be their best chance of survival because those are all three very different realms um and i would say it, as an instructor figure out which realm you are focusing on because that will have a profound effect on how you train your students what you train them and within even different arts this is not aikido specific this could be somebody at a jeet kundo school or a you know a, a muay thai school or or anything in between Likewise, uh, I've got a judo instructor at, at my dojo, and he's an older guy. He's been learning, he's been training judo since I was in kindergarten uh, back in the early 70s, and he is amazing. But he, he, because of his age, teaches mostly students who are, you know, middle aged and older who still want to do judo, but they can't hold up to the, the competitive Olympic style judo where there's ballistic throws because their bodies just can't handle it anymore. But there's, that's where judo gets into that phd level do you have the control where you can you can control somebody down rather than just blowing them out um and you know more of the what i would call the kusa mafune judo the that super subtle ultra level control you know almost like you don't see anything happening and then suddenly somebody's on the ground um yeah he had that sublime level whenever i watch him i think like that's what I want my Aikido to be so powerful, but subtle, but absolutely perfect energy management. Like you never see him having to work hard. He, he's 
uh, it, it's just amazing. That's, that's what I see. And, and that's also where I see judo and Aikido so close together because their principles are the same, taking balance, getting somebody to the ground, managing your efficiency, staying on your feet. If you can, um, all of those things to me are, uh, are universal to the two arts. And I think sumo comes in there as well as an influence as does jujitsu. I mean, cause if you look at it, they're all technically jujitsu. If you go back far enough of what jujitsu right. was called in the 1800s, but, but I think as an instructor and you say, okay, well, what, what is it I want to teach? What do I want to, what are the students that I want to gather? What are they, what would they be interested in? Cause now you, now you start branching into the marketing side where you say, you, you know, put up your, your sign and you say, okay, come on in and learn. And people be like, well, what am I learning? Well, you need an answer to that question, or you need to put it out there so that you attract the right students. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I can articulate of what I like about Aikido is it does not tend to attract the, the 20 something young men who want to learn to hurt people. It does not attract people that want to, uh, learn to be combat monsters, um, that want to survive by causing you know as much damage to other people as they they humanly can and there's right now there's um and i'd say the last probably 15 years the combatives uh realm of the martial arts has gotten much more popular and uh and i've trained that too it, it's it's a hole you need to fill of that what happens in maximum violence uh but I've always found that you have to be careful of how you advertise that because you can attract students that will hurt each other on a regular basis. And, you know, you, it's hard to have a school when all your students are injured and aren't coming to class. Um, yeah. And like, yeah. So, so that's a factor as well. I think of, of who you attract and, and what you want them to ultimately be. Um, and I would, I would put things like Krav Maga was one of the first com real combatives arts that emerged what, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, became real popular um, on the kind of the, almost the, 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 the average Joe public guy said, yeah, I want to be able to just utterly turn into a berserker and go do as much damage as possible in the shortest amount of time. That sounds really good. To me, that's the, that is often the interest in the combatives stuff. And there's, there's other schools of combatives that have emerged that are, that are very popular right now based on that. And I admire them. I like those, those things. I've learned a lot of it too. Um, but it's also one of those things where very few self-defense, real self-defense situations call for that level of violence. And if you uncork that when it's not appropriate, you can get in real trouble. Um, you know, whether it's after the fact or even the fact of, you know, just a, a, an inappropriate response. Civilized people don't want to uh, overwhelm somebody with violence. That's just not how, how peaceful people tend to work. And so I think that there's quite a few people that are, are turned off by that kind of a military approach to martial arts. And I think to me, Aikido is a civilian application of a martial art, which is focused on an appropriate response and a, and a measured response to a particular threat. And that might be a low level threat. Somebody might put their hand on your shoulder and, and start trying to intimidate you. Well, does that, you know, now call for throat punching and eye gouging? Well, no, it doesn't, but it, you got to do something. So 
to me, that's where, and my instructors would always say, Aikido is, is an unusual art, if not almost unique in the fact that there's a variable dial of how much you choose to respond. You can respond at a one or two level, or you can turn it all the way up to nine or 10 if it needs to be. Uh, and I would say judo and jujitsu are like that too. That's why the, those arts are so close together. But <clears throat> the idea of a, speaks to me anyway, is a civilian art of, practiced by peaceful people who want to understand and be fluent in the language of violence without going over the line, without turning themselves into the very thing that they don't want to be, which is some kind of a monster. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and I have a, you know, there's a lot of things we've covered. You've covered a lot of grounds, at least me, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of, uh, uh, if I don't get tackled, some broken field running to do here. Um, <laughs> So, first of all, uh, you know what BJJ really stands for, don't you? What's that? Basically just judo. <laughs> That's a new one. I, that new one to me. I love it, though. I've never I like heard it. that before. Okay. I've never now, heard anyway, that. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't resist without throwing that one out there. And by the way, I, I although I haven't uh, in a couple of years due to my current arthritis battle, but I, I I've studied BJJ and I love it. I think it's awesome with capital letters. Now let's let's go back to and I, I want to say something else. I'm going to start with what we just covered and then work then start go back and and move forward again. Now look, I, I'm a retired guard colonel, true and well enough. I'm also a retired FBI agent, mm. and on top of that, I'm also a lawyer. And mm. at one time, I was a prosecutor. Mm. The danger of the combatives training, and it's not the training itself, I'm talking mindset. Mm -hmm. And it's usually young men who are beset with this mindset, but they want to be able to have the skills uh, to be able to just, you know, go unleashed on somebody and leave them, leave that the attacker in a smoking pile of rubble. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to tell you that that quite often leads to jail. Um, you know, if let's say so somebody punches another person and they fall down, just one punch, fall down, hit their head and die. What do you call that? The it's one punch death? Well, it's manslaughter at the very least. And mm -hmm. there's usually in most states going to be a prison sentence attached to that. And if mm -hmm. it's done with malice and not in self-defense, then that's a murder charge. If you're defending yourself and it's a legitimate self-defense encounter and you accidentally kill somebody and it has not elevated to a deadly force situation, that is by definition manslaughter. So mm -hmm. people you know, ought to be very careful. And I will say in the same veins, what most martial arts schools never talk about is, is the legal landscape that we all mm -hmm. operate under, whether we like it or not. There, we all operate on legal terrain and we have to know what the laws of self-defense are in our respective jurisdictions. That's one thing that most martial arts schools, I don't care what they teach, uh, don't even talk about. And the second thing is proportionality of force, because the law of self-defense requires proportionality of force. 
if somebody is, is in a position to use deadly force against you and they're the attacker and you're the defender, then it becomes a deadly force situation, which allows you to apply deadly force in self-defense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, an assault is an unwanted touching. Some states even have assault by threat. You don't have to touch somebody or you can call somebody a bad name and, and, and that would be considered an assault. But, you know, an unwanted touching, excuse me, um, battery. I'm sorry. So if you, somebody just to poke you in the chest, well, legally, that's battery. And uh, it's also assault. So assault and battery. And then, you know, you, uh, you know, break the person's face based on them simply poking you in the chest with their finger is not proportionality of force. And there could be an arrest that follows that. Obviously, every situation is different. Many situations are complex. The law is applied to the facts, not a blanket um, situation that somebody dreamed up. But but most mm-hmm. martial arts schools don't talk about those two things in any way at all, which it, which if the school teaches something that they bill as self-defense, then to me, it's incumbent upon them to also touch upon these subjects, even if they need to bring a lawyer in to explain it. Mm-hmm. Now, Going back to the beginning, we're talking about, you know, which martial art to teach. We need to talk about what the definition of martial arts is. I have a particular definition for martial arts. Not everybody agrees with it. Mm -hmm. But martial is derived from the name Mars, the Roman god of war. And arts has been taken as being artistic as in dancing. And I don't believe that that's really what the English translation of it means. It's more, in my mind, artisan. Well, what is an artisan? A skilled craftsman. So if you reduce martial arts to a definition, it's fighting skill. And I think if somebody is going to teach anything that is called martial arts, that the result ought to be that the student learns fighting skill and you know, I think this is one of the downfalls of Aikido generally when we're talking about commercial Aikido dojos is talking about, well, Aikido is the peaceful martial art. To me, those are that's an oxymoron. You cannot have a peaceful fighting skill. Um, may be peaceful until it's time to employ those skills. You know, what's the saying? It's uh, be a warrior in the garden and not a gardener in a war. That's more of the mindset. I think when we talk about teaching fighting skill, be the warrior in the garden. You can be peaceful until it is required to become a warrior. I'm so, glad you brought that up because I think that that's an important part of how do you appeal to to students by and you do in my opinion you do that with clarity. You have perfect clarity yes. about what what you are, what you're teaching, and what you're going to teach them to be. And the art of peace thing kind of always bothered me because there's a the inherent uh, uh, contradiction that you just pointed out. I've seen it taken to the point where peace might be the ultimate goal, but peace is not the process by which you get that goal. And this is where I think what you hit on is it's important to understand, which is it's kind of the if you need if you want an omelet, you may need to break a few eggs to get there. Now, you want to break as few as possible. You don't want to do them in an explosive fashion that makes it so you can't make the omelet anymore. Um, likewise, if in a civilian environment, you want to you want to control, bring control to a chaotic situation with the minimal amount of injury possible. 
To me, that's yes. the definition. And there, there's a priority list. You want to protect yourself and innocent people and the attacker, kind of in that order. And if the third priority doesn't get met, kind of well, you, you you know you did your best you could, but optimally you want to have no injury to anybody and the the circumstance res, peace restored to the the situation. But before that peace gets restored, there's going to be violent conflict. There is going to be physical interaction, and I I think that Aikido contemporary Aikido has strayed somewhat in in the among those people that feel that they can handle chaos with peace and and i don't think that that's necessarily true you can try to negotiate as much as possible to avoid the conflict but once the physical conflict starts and it may not be your decision to cross that line it may be completely out of your control somebody who decides they are going to be physically violent at that point intervention is necessary to reestablish control with the minimal amount of of collateral damage let's put it that way and and i did want to mention something about the the one punch death because this is something that 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 uh has been a thing especially among people who maybe they've got a little bit of boxing background they they're a good striker they're strong or they just luck out and they hit that that you know one in a hundred knockout shot it's not the shot that kills the person it's when their unconscious body falls back and they hit their head on a door frame or on the concrete that's when the brain injury and the crack, the cracked skull and the brain injury happens. Right. And so even though you, all you did is, you know, knock somebody cold, if they were standing or they're on a bar stool and they fall off onto their head, that's where the manslaughter thing comes in. And, you know, maybe there's a way that you can strike and knock somebody out and then catch their body before they, they hit a steel rail or something with their head. But, to me, this is where once with Aikido or with, with Judo or with an art that has a throw, if you grab a, a hold of somebody and you go to throw them and you can decelerate their fall so they don't slam into the ground, now you have at least a measure of control over their body so you can alter the outcome. Whereas, you know, you, I don't know if you're talented enough to kick somebody in the head or you punch somebody in the head and you knock them cold, they're out of your control now. They fall down. They stumble, fall down stairs. I mean, there's your manslaughter issue, much less when there's cameras all over the place like there is now. All you got to do is one person catches that on their phone and your 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 goose is cooked. Like you can't, you know, there's really no getting out of that. Um, so that's, I, that's where I see those. I wanted to mention that too for about the level of control that I think a civilian art is focused on that a military art or a combatives art is not um so i throw that in there yeah i mean a a, a a battlefield is not the same thing as walking down the street of uh, you know on main street usa even though some cities may seem like they're a battlefield um the mm -hmm. the rules of engagement so to speak are going to be quite different and there's nothing wrong with learning combatants but but it, it, there's nothing wrong with any of it i mean i think you learn it all that's that's better but but I, I think that people who, and I've dealt with these people being a, a, a firearms instructor uh, for, you know, concealed carry in my state. And, you know, by jokes people make or the comments mm -hmm. they say or the questions they ask, it's almost like they're itching to get in a gunfight. And, it's and I'd say the same thing of people that, that do a lot of knife training. Uh, 
they're carrying a deadly weapon and it, it, it can really only be used for one thing, which is to physically harm somebody, injure them or kill them, i.e. the deadly weapon. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's, you know, when I, when I tell people is that, you know, the, just the criminal justice system, there's no justice in the criminal justice system. What you get is a system. And mm -hmm. if you get put on that conveyor belt and that's what it's like, you have no mm -hmm. control about when you're going to get off, where you're going to get off. And they, right. it, that conveyor belt dumps into the state prison. It's just whether or not you get off and, you know, mm -hmm. before that. So, and those are things people don't think about. And, and, and I think that uh, people ought to think about that, but if we go back to, you know, reimagining a dojo and we choose a martial art I think the paying public are going to want to learn fighting skill. They're, they're going to mm -hmm. want to know that there is practical application and practical use for what they're learning. And it's mm -hmm. not just dance because people can go to dance class. Mm -hmm. You know, people can go to yoga class. Um, and I know there are different types of Tai Chi, but you talk about, you know, old people in the park Tai Chi or at the Y. People can go do that if they want slow movements to work on their balance and stuff. And those are all great things. Mm -hmm. But if, if your, your so-called martial art is really just a, uh, essentially um, a dance class in a gi, well, then I, I don't think that that's a martial art at all. And right. I'm sure some the martial flavored exercise program is really that's, that's what it is. Exactly, exactly similar right. to a high ball or something like that. Now, there is the caveat I'll put out there is that, is that if that's what you're telling people you're doing, that's perfectly fine, too, as long mm -hmm. as you're honest with with people about what you're teaching. Sure. It's um, I, I think that if, if we just talk about Aikido is that it, it just, it, it, you know, all of my episodes about martial arts, the Aikido episodes get the most listens. And yeah, I okay. think the reason is because. Nobody knows what it is. Everybody has a different idea of what it is. And, and including people that practice Aikido. <laughs> well, that's right. You know, <laughs> I mean, that, that is way true. And, and you have a perspective, uh, David Valadez at Ascension mm -hmm. Center in San mm -hmm. uh, Santa Barbara County, California has a perspective. Uh, Christopher Hine in Fresno, mm -hmm. California has a perspective. John Thompson and, uh, and Denton, Texas has has a mm -hmm. has a perspective. Um, Oliver Martinez in Keller, Texas mm -hmm. has, has a which is pretty close with with uh, with John Thompson. Everybody has a little mm -hmm. bit different perspective, but I think that if you're going to hang a shingle uh, on a dojo and call it a martial art, you had better actually impart some practical fighting skills. Mm -hmm. Now, look, every martial art has a limitation. I think Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is is really uh, the best thing out there overall. But we do know, even though people don't wish to accept it, is that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has its limitations too. It is, mm -hmm. it is very much designed for a one versus one encounter. Mm -hmm. And once you get one versus two or one versus three, I mean, you're, you're in a hurt locker and, and, uh, you know, except for exceptional martial mm -hmm. artists who are out there too. And, you know, mm -hmm. on the internet, everybody raises the exception and that's, right. you know, it's an exception for a reason. So, mm -hmm. I mean, even BJJ has its limitations. Aikido has, has 
limitations mm -hmm. and, and you know american kempo karate has limitations everything has a limitation boxing is a limitation attached to mm -hmm. it uh, uh western wrestling which i think is the king of martial arts mm -hmm. um everything has a limitation to its application so mm -hmm. um for you know for somebody who were, were to establish a dojo it's like well which martial art am i going to teach or principally feature and then you know, I, I need to be sure as the dojo owner, for example, which I don't own one, but if I were, that people who pay money to come get something practical out of it mm -hmm. as well. I mean, I think that's very, very important. And, and and so, you know, these are these are things that you have to that really have to be be thought about in depth. And I think, uh, you know, if we I don't want to beat up on Aikido, but Aikido is too often the people who teach it are the people who, if you look at them, um, they're not physically fit. Mm -hmm. They may either be under-muscled or overweight. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the top knot, it's all about peace, and this is how they talk. And, and look, if, if that's what you're going to tell people you're going to teach is a very soft um, so-called martial art that's really more like, you said, a dance-based uh, a, a dance fitness class, great, as long as you're honest. But you can't tell mm -hmm. people that, you're teaching them a practical martial art because, because frankly, at least in my, my opinion, you're not. So, I mean, once you pick a martial art, then I think you have to decide that you're going to give the, uh, the paying public something that is, is useful and practical. And, and I think that's the downside of, or, or the, the, the double edge of the sword of using the term martial art, because it creates, even though you may have your own definition or the instructor or the dojo or the school has its own definition of what it wants to teach. If it used the term martial art, the average person has an image in their head, an expectation that, yes, I will learn how to deal with somebody that wants to slap me or hit me or grab me or, or assault me. I'll have an answer for that. And, and an example of that would be back when Taibo was, th was big. Uh, it was a, a karate flavored exercise program. But when you look at the people that did it and you're like, what do you love about it? And like, well, I feel like if somebody attacked me, I could, I could punch them because they've punched in the air and they kicked in the air and they've done all these exercises that look like fighting that they will be prepared when a fight actually happens. Well, I think that that expectation was a false one just because you can do you know, exercise, kick exercises and punch exercises, and you, you don't actually hit targets. You don't move, you know, work against a moving assailant. You don't ever have a, a punches thrown at you. You feel like you're going to be a tough guy or girl, but you don't find that out until you got somebody who's actually trying to control you. Like to me, that, that experience is necessary, not just imagining what it would be or focusing on a small part of a martial art which is the movement and getting your body conditioned and yeah those are important those are very important but not applying it that's that's the issue and and you know when you look at an instructor that weighs 350 pounds you know clearly out of shape you have you're left to wonder like what what are they teaching if the if their training has not helped keep them in shape or or having a fit somewhat athletic body in, in age you can't use age as an excuse because there are some 60, 70 year olds that are in fine physical condition, you know, for their age, they are very capable. So, you know, to have, to have a, a, a fit and active training session means you have to have a fit and active body. So if you see an instructor that is obese and in horrible shape, 
now that leads you to the conclusion, well, your class must not be very, you know, active. Now you get somebody like, um, you know, old wrestlers like Billy Robinson, you saw him, you know, teach and he had a cane, he could barely walk, you know, big guy, somebody like that's done their time and he's still right. coaching, but his body's so wrecked up that he can't, you know, he can't be fit and active, which in my opinion, this is, this is also a consideration that, that formed how I want to train. I don't want to train so hard that by the time I get to be 70 years old, I can't walk. I can barely get up. I can barely move from one end of the room to the other. I've got a cane. Maybe I'm in a wheelchair. Like, cause you can take training to that level where, you know, and everybody I've run into that's older has regretted how hard they trained when they were younger because their knees are shot. Their, their joints are all tight and, and hard. They were so hard on their body. Now, now you, it's not an art that, that, leads to a healthy overall long life um so yeah i think that definition is in there too so you need the live play you need the the active try to get as close as you can to the environment that you want to succeed in but not so hard that you're now paying a dear price for it whether you're constantly getting train uh, injuries in your training or that you're now leading to chronic long-term injuries with your joints in your body well, and that brings something up. There's a couple of things kind of in that ballpark uh, about uh, ha having a dojo, uh, you know, founding one and, and operating. A couple of things is that, you know, I I, uh, I, I, I did BJJ up until the pandemic happened, mm -hmm. and, and 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 I went to a uh, I, I went to a week long uh, uh, Gracie. Com um, um, Gracie, see, I can't even remember. I haven't got my, I have, did not get much sleep last night. So my okay. brain's not firing at all the cylinders. I think about sure. two or three hours. I'm, I'm not at home. I'm, I'm not at work. I, I'm at my, uh, my father's house. He just got out of the hospital yesterday. Hmm. So, um, uh, uh, Gracie, not combatives, but, um, uh, anyway, it's pol the police jujitsu instructor level one course. And, hmm. and, um, you know, I had this, young police officer wrench my arms behind my back mm -hmm. in a handcuffing drill of course after i told him not to do that mm -hmm. um he did it and so i got torn rotator cuffs not from that but it re-injured my already torn rotator cuffs so then i started in karate shuri shuri ru not shurin but mm -hmm. shuri ru mm -hmm. um uh, karate and, and there was a you know, they got a big kids class and there was a kid in my neighborhood who went to school who trained there a little kid and and uh talking to his dad one day so uh, you know brazilian jiu-jitsu man you know that i think you know he probably loved that he said well we took him there we took him there and there's like three schools in my town and he said we i don't know which one they took him to but he took him to a school and the kid didn't like the huggy wuggy martial art you know, that what he around, it? well i'm calling it that because it okay. is I mean, it's it's up close and personal and he didn't like mm -hmm. that so he would have better fit for, well with karate than he mm -hmm. did with brazilian jiu-jitsu mm -hmm. there are people out there even adults who if they went to a bjj school and they saw people rolling on the mats or simply gonna get turned off grossed out don't want to mm -hmm. be that close to somebody you know, don't want to do that kind of uh, martial art. Mm -hmm. What 
is out there that speaks to them? What what is out there available for them, for that kid, that adult, that older person who doesn't want to be sweating in each other's eyeballs? Um, you know, and that's not wrong for somebody to, it doesn't bother me, but it's not wrong for somebody to be bothered by it. So are you going to feature something that's going to be an alternative to that? And, you know, um, that's another consideration about the martial art, you know, and that's going to inform how you're going to market the dojo as well, to be quite, quite honest about it. But, we go back to like Taibo. I mean, you can make a case that the increased physical fitness, if somebody diligently did Taibo um, five times a week, that mm-hmm. increased physical fitness increases their self-defense defense quotient. I believe oh, it does. does. Absolutely. All yeah. right. Even the mildest Aikido being taught um, is valuable for self-defense because in Aikido, you must know how to break fall and you must know how to roll if you are pushed down knocked down trip and fall down if you're on uneven terrain and you can't catch your foot and fall down you can fall safely get back on your feet quickly and depart the area and mm-hmm. that's perfectly fine self-defense mm-hmm. every martial art regardless of what it is there's something somebody can take from it very positively even if it's just physical fitness. So we have to put Mm -hmm. that out there because I think that's being honest about, about martial arts. Definitely. So, you know, if, if it's, um, you know, if you're establishing a dojo and you're determining what martial art you're going to teach, you really have to also know, we haven't brought it up. You have to know your marketplace and are you going to fill a niche? Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, you know, frankly, if I, you know, if I could find somebody qualified to teach Jap- traditional Japanese jujitsu, that would, you know, which I also have trained in in the past, uh, I, I really think that that's pretty awesome. It's hard to find somebody who can teach that anymore. That but that would be something that if I could get a hold of an instructor, I might, you know, think about taking some capital and opening a dojo. Um, And and of course, there's all sorts of considerations because you do need people to come in if you want to be able to keep the lights on and and pay the rent. But um, uh, so maybe we've beaten a dead horse of what to teach. I I, I think that that, that those are big considerations of which martial art, how are you going to teach it? And are you looking to fill a niche for people who, who may go to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? And I live in my city is about 50,000 people little bit more and there's three schools well there's actually there's five if you count um uh, one of the you know uh, black belt academies that teach like five different martial arts you can find it in my town easy driving distance but there are people who don't want to do that for the reasons i've already mentioned Mm -hmm. there is a general school in my town but if you're of a certain age and those throws and this guy's he, he's, he's teaching Olympic athletes or, or future mm-hmm. Olympic athletes. You know, competitors, yeah. Competitors. Competitive and judo is very athletic and very uh, hard very on the hard body. hard on the body, very hard on the body. Mm-hmm. And and so do you choose a martial art that's going to fill a niche? Are you going to attract the older crowd? Are you going to attract the people who don't want to be huggy-wuggy on the ground, sweating in each other's eyeballs? Mm-hmm. Are you going to fill that niche? And if you do fill a niche, and that's fantastic, I think you, you know we owe it to the the paying public to give them. If you're going to call it a martial art, to doggone give them, give them a martial art. Again, mm-hmm. having having said that, 
just physical fitness alone or just knowing how to break fall and roll alone can be tremendously mm -hmm. useful in a real self-defense encounter if it goes connected. i've had several students that have said their ability to roll has saved them from the hospital yeah i remember just as, as an aside when i was in college i was in the, the judo club at college and i was uh home uh in my hometown one weekend a buddy of mine we we're both veterans i've been in the military before college and so was he we were out running and I stepped in a hole and uh, I judo rolled right mm -hmm. back onto my feet. If I didn't know how to do that, I would have been hurt. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the hole consumed my entire foot, you know, past the ankle. And I fell if I didn't know how to judo roll. And I got, I rolled right back onto my feet and then we just kept on going. And that, I've never forgotten that because that's how useful that stuff can be. And if somebody knocks mm -hmm. you down or pushes you down or you just, trip and fall down that is worth its weight in gold just knowing that stuff mm -hmm. so you know there are benefits to everything somebody can train while well, everybody yeah. should should you know, train and in, in, in martial arts even if it's just the you know if you're an old person want the slow motion uh, you know old old what i call old person tai chi you know working on balance and things like that that's fine too because that you'll be great takeaways from that because you improve mm -hmm. balance general fitness your flexibility coordination things like that all are very very important especially as we age mm -hmm. and then uh, so if we've beaten what kind of martial art to teach uh to if we've beaten it into the ground already then perhaps we ought to look at how we you know design the dojo because i think i think sometimes people uh can walk into a dojo and it, it looks like it's a quasi-religious location yeah. and yeah. you know well, there's nothing wrong with that either but i think it turns a lot of people off yeah and, and i think having visited many many dojos i've seen the whole spectrum between you know it looks like the corner of somebody's basement all the way up to it looks like the japanese embassy and you know you yeah. even to the point where and i visited a, a dojo like this and, and nobody speaks above a hushed tone there's no excess conversation like it's very Catholic churchy and because I, my grandmother was Catholic. So I remember as a, as a child going to a lot of Catholic mass and, you know, how solemn and, and quiet and, and uh, just the, the atmosphere was, was uh, not congenial. What one might say <laughs> it wasn't yeah. hostile, but it was very formal. And, and I think that that's one of the things I love about the martial arts is the, the bonds that you build with the people that you train with. And that bond includes enjoying training together, even to the point where you 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 laugh because you can't believe how easy you just got dumped or how how weird that that throw was because you didn't feel like you got thrown. You just kind of were maneuvered around and suddenly you're flying through the air. I find those moments tremendously joyful. And so I express that with with smiling and laughing and enjoying myself. Not to say that it's, you know, like a, a clown show or a comedy act or anything, but it's a sense of wonder where, where when somebody does even a technique, you know that what they're going to do and they pull it off really well. You know, like that was amazing. But you go to a school where it's very solemn and there's you're not supposed to communicate. You're not supposed to talk with your training partner. You're not supposed to ha have that that joyful attitude. And I always remember, you know, Morahai's words of, you know, something about train with joy. You know, I always took that to heart and I, I, I like that. I like it when my students do that. I like it when they're thrilled and they, they're excited and having fun. I think you learn more when you are having fun than when you are 
you feel like you're under stress, you have to be, uh, you know, have to mind yourself, you can't speak. Like to me, those are all, all learning limiters. I think that's just my observation, but. Well, just to say this, it comes to mind a couple of things. Yes, I agree with everything you've said. Look, um, can I cuss on your show? You may. All right. Um, just because I think everybody has a similar image in their mind, probably of a dojo. You mentioned, you know, corner mm -hmm. somebody's basement to a Japanese embassy. Um, there's nothing wrong with tradition. There's nothing wrong with cultural um, uh, artifacts uh, in and cultural etiquette. But um, it, I can only speak for myself and presumably for you too, is that I'm not fucking Japanese. <laughs> I'm an American. Yep. And I, you know, the, the excessive formality. And look, here's what I've studied in my life. Judo. Now, I'm not good at any of them. I will admit that. You know, I'm a dabbler. I've studied mm -hmm. judo. And I'm going to try to do it in order. Mm -hmm. I've studied Shotokan karate. I've studied did too. Aikido. Mm -hmm. I've studied Aikido again. I've mm -hmm. studied Study, oh no, I, I got it out of order. I studied Japanese Jiu Jitsu. Then mm -hmm. I studied Aikido again. Then I studied Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for, you know, two solid, solid years. And I studied uh, Shiriru Karate for a year um, post pandemic. And, and, uh, you know, I could go, then I had knee surgery anyway, just hell getting old, older. But so I've studied all those things. It is a complete turn. This is my personality. It's a complete turnoff to me to go in a place and you're hushed. You have that church, um, that, that almost ecclesiastical feeling. I won't even say church, but ecclesiastical feeling. And it's extremely formal. You're not supposed to talk to your training partner. You're, you're, you're not supposed to talk to the instructor unless the instructor talks to you first. To me, that does, that does the student a complete disservice, you know, if, if they're an American. Now, look, we're, we're a pretty loose society, and I'm not, I'm not saying we should be libertine in the dojo. Don't get me wrong, but, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, the, the, the excessive formality, to me, it's masking something either it masks something that the instructor is lacking or it's masking something that the curriculum is lacking or the dojo itself is lacking it's a mask uh, i will tell you it relates you an experience also about how it's how things are taught when i'm being when a technique is being demonstrated to me because i'm not very good at uh, proprioception um I like to go through the motion. So if we're doing a high block and I'm in, in the instructors demonstrating and I'm watching and I'm doing this, mm -hmm. okay, I'm trying to implant the movement into my head based on what I'm looking at and what I'm being told. Mm -hmm. I did that um, one time in that karate school, uh, the last one I went to and the the the, the uh, Sheehan is fantastic. It was one of his underlings. 
Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he yelled, you know, I show you watch. Mm. Well, I, you know, it's, it, I'm a, I'm, I'm a student. It's not my school. I just went along with it. Mm-hmm. Stuck in my head. That is a horrible way to try to teach. I showed mm-hmm. you watch. It's very apparent what I'm doing is I'm mimicking mm-hmm. what I'm being, what's being demonstrated. And, mm-hmm. and people learn in different ways. And there's this rote, um, really uh, uh, excessively Japanese way of doing things. And another thing, if we're going to just, I will knock on Aikido is this, is some of the instructors is that, mm-hmm. you know, because it comes from Japan, you don't have to be so doggone Japanese about it. Know your audience, know your student body, your student body, right. your Americans, damn it. You have to teach in a way that, that actually gets the information across to that mm-hmm. person or else you're just taking, in my opinion, you're just taking their money and not giving them their money's worth. I know there are people watching and listening to this podcast who, will, who vehemently disagree with that, but that's my, mm-hmm. my position. If I were a school owner, like I said, if I open an Aikido dojo, I can't I'm not qualify to teach it. I'd be a student, but I would have parameters that the, you know, no instructor would work for me unless they agreed to these parameters, because I want to give value to the people who show up there, given their time. We can we can get everything in the in life back. We can't get mm-hmm. time back. They're giving their time and they're giving their money, and mm-hmm. they're turning themselves over to the instructor to learn something. So there's something owed. And it's sure. not the other way around. That's another thing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I am I am Supreme Sensei Sheehan Shodan, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And therefore you're here to worship me. There, there comes a time when and etiquette and protocol, which really is just ritual, go can go too far. You're it, spending it more time yeah. in ritual than you are in the substance part. And to me, the substance is the teaching. And and I did a whole episode on when etiquette in the dojo goes too far. And that's where you start getting the cult-like atmosphere yeah. and vibe from a group. Now, in putting together a group, what I've noticed over the years is there are entire groups that have been built on the heavy protocol, etiquette, ritual thing, because there are people that like that part. That's what they're drawn to. They somehow feel that 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 participating that is what they want to do, which for them is fine. Um, but to me, that's different. And I'd say if you if you go down that road to its ultimate end, what you end with is the Japanese tea ceremony, where they spend four hours in a ritual to make tea, and it doesn't even matter about what the tea is. It just matters about the bows and the ritual and the and all of the movements and going through making making tea but at the end of the day what about the tea <laughs> you know what i mean but it's not about the tea for that so if as its own interest thing that's one thing but in terms of a martial art now to me that distracts from you don't don't call that a martial art call it something else it may have come from a martial art but it's different well we've all heard the the, the phrase less is more you can do that stuff, but don't overdo it. And, and look, we're speaking about commercial dojos, private mm-hmm. dojos uh, that are non-commercial. Uh, we're, yep. I, I'm not even ta- referring to them at all, but mm-hmm. a commercial dojo. A little bit goes a long way. Um, mm-hmm. Like Chad Lyman of, uh, uh, you know, he's a police jujitsu guy out there. Uh, you know, as he says, train a little, a lot. Train mm-hmm. a little bit. Do it, you know, do it a lot. Maybe you got 20 minutes one day, 
And the next mm -hmm. day you got 30, the next day you got 20, but at least you're getting three days in a row. You know, mm -hmm. you're training a little, a lot. Um, and then, you know, on and on and on uh, as the days go by. So, yeah, you, you want to have, if you're teaching traditional Japanese art, you want to have some of those cultural uh, aspects. Um, and, yes, it does attract people to that. Uh, but but I, I think there's a lot of schools that overdo it. And and it brings to mind, uh, you, know, be, you know, over the top is the comedian uh, Matt Page, um, mm. who's down in Albuquerque, who's a Kenpo black belt. And I think he's probably a BJJ purple belt by now. But uh, he plays a character uh, about the self-important sensei you know master ken oh yeah no yep. he's the he's the comedian who uh who, who's, who's who plays master ken and uh comedian slash actor slash yeah, writer, he's great slash, yeah master clint king is hilarious <laughs> but but i mean if you've ever if you walked into enough martial arts schools you've met master ken you know really mm -hmm. quite quite self-impressed and and um so i mean anyway i, I just threw that out there because we, we see these things if you if you dabble enough like me or you're a career mm -hmm. martial artist like many of the people like yourself and many of the people who mm -hmm. watch and listen to your podcast so i i think that you know I, I think that it's important not to overdo the ceremonial stuff yes there's a place for it and it's necessary in some respects um like even in in, in uh i have trained that yeah. Lost you for a second. Go ahead and repeat repeat yeah. that sentence. Well, I mean, I've been to, you know one BGJ school. Don't bow at all. Another one bows, mm -hmm. but it's uh, it's it, right. it's rather limited, and it just depends on uh, the school. You want to give a little bit of that mm -hmm. if it's a traditional Japanese martial art, but this isn't Japan, and mm -hmm. your, your clientele is not going to be Japanese. And that's just my perspective, and I'm, I'm I'm I know that reasonable minds can differ, and people have different mm -hmm. perspectives. So. Um, I, I think let me address that because you brought yeah. up, I think, was a great idea. And that is, and like you said, we've all seen the master Ken. We've seen the the instructor with the massive ego, and his group is there to basically be his followers. It's the cult of personality. And and, th and that's something that <clears throat> I think as somebody gains skill and talent and ability, uh, they will always have newer people drawn to them who are amazed by what they can do. And we'll kind of shower, you know, admiration on them. And it can be very easy for your ego to start eating that up. And and I think that because I've, I've, I've looked at many practice groups, both within Aikido and with, with other martial arts and been with them and seen it time and time again. To me, the safeguard for that is to have the focus of saying, I want the people I train to be as good or better than I am. And I will not rest until they are because that tends to put your ego aside where your ego, when, when it's allowed to run, will say, I am better than all my students. I have to be better than them. I have to show them that I am better than them all the time because that's how I gain their respect. And by their respect, that's when they keep paying me and they wanna keep coming back because you know, they're paying me the guru to impart this wisdom on them. And where I've seen it really go off the rails is when the instructor starts to become, when he gets students that have been following him for a while and start understanding his lessons, he starts to become obscure to sort of keep them confused about, well, you know, you're, you're not there yet. You'll understand this more if you train more, but they make it so that the lesson's not clear. 
or the principle that they're trying to convey is not clear. It's obscure. So they have a hard time figuring it out to kind of keep them in the, the, the payment loop of, no, you haven't, you haven't gotten to where I am yet. You have to keep going. You have to keep paying your tuition. You have to keep coming back. And it winds up being this really weird, weird feel, but a good, a good instructor. And I've run into a few of these and they're, they truly are, uh, you know, jewels among gems when they say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to teach my student students, everything I know. And they come back and will say, I can take and with somebody that I took think something I took five years to learn, I can teach them in one because I've now learned how to teach better. I've learned how to convey the, the, the lessons better. I've learned how to, you know, they've improved their teaching and instruction just as they've improved their martial art and their understanding and can convey it. Then they get them up to speed. And now the rising tide raises all the boats. It raises the instructor. It raises the students who now start feeding the instructor their own insights because I would I have a tough time putting a ratio to this, but I think more than half of what you learn as a martial arts student is not what just what the instructor tells you and where you memorize it and you just do exactly what he tells you. It's his his description or his demonstrations help you get kind of close and then you start seeing the reality part. You start seeing what makes your martial art work for you. And it might be a little different from him or a little different from other students. To me, that's why we are martial artists not martial scientists. A science is absolutely, it's either right or wrong, chemistry, biology. It's either machine, you know, machining, it's precise. And art is open to interpretation by the different artists. And then we're not all the same. We all don't use the same exact process. We might use the same principles. We might right. be inspired by one another, but you know, even if you and I both learned Aikido at the, you know, from the same people, our Aikido is going to look a little different because we're built differently. Our minds are different. Our spirits are different. How we interpret things is a little different. It's not going to be cookie cutter the same. And so, um, but back to the, that, that ego thing as an instructor, I think, and this was my biggest concern when I opened a dojo was because we had had this happen a couple of times at, at my dojo that I trained in uh people that came in that did want to learn how to hurt somebody like a basically a a thug or a kind of a bad seed you know and this this goes back over 100 years of you know within the marsh traditional martial arts it's don't teach people of poor character because you're giving them physical capability you want to have your students be of good character you know they they are strong but they are virtuous not strong and you know thug like um, but I wanted to have, you know, my dojo, I wanted to set the tone and that partial, partial, part of it comes from what you mentioned earlier. Like, what does the dojo look like? What is it? When you walk in the door, you get a, an immediate first impression. Like, how do you make that first impression good? I don't want it to look like the corner of my garage with junk all over the place. And it smells like an old tennis shoe and it, you know, it's filthy. I want it clean. I don't want it to look like the Japanese embassy either, where it, it's intimidating to people. I want it to look like, like the laboratory. This is where we go to, to study our art. And I want the energy, not just the stuff that's in the inanimate objects, but in the people to be positive. I want anybody that steps in there to feel like everybody here is there to help me get better. We're not there, we're not there to humiliate each, humiliate each other or to we were hiding our vulnerabilities because 
that that mat is truth. When you step on the mat, there's no lying any, any about anything. Your character will come out. There is vulnerability for everybody that's on the mat, including the instructor. If somebody thinks, well, I'm the instructor, I'm not vulnerable, it's the students that are vulnerable. Oh no, the instructor is very vulnerable. You will, you will Your flaws will show. And if your ego says, I can't show any flaws, I can't show any weakness, you're gonna have a very stressful time because it will come out, your students will see it too. Don't ever think that they won't, they will, but they should not be frightened into not saying anything. Um, and that's where I like having a positive energy where, you know, I'll say if, if I'm showing something or I show a flaw, I'll even call out, I just screwed this up. I stepped in the wrong place and look what happened. My, I was out of balance. Here was, you know, learn from my mistake. Cause I'm trying to learn from my mistakes still. There's no amount of training that you can do that will make you immune from making your mistakes. You should be experienced enough to notice them. You probably will. If you don't, you're not much of an instructor but how you deal with them and i and i like using honesty to deal with those things with my students to say Absolutely. you know what i'm going to teach you i'm even going to teach you the wrong thing how about that i'm going to teach you to do stuff incorrectly because my caveat is i might in, in a month six months a year find out what i was doing could be done better so be ready for, for me to say you know what i showed you last last year or six months ago we're going to do it different now because this works better than what i was doing before because even as an instructor, we're always learning, always absorbing, always evolving and changing. And I think that that's, that concept right there is something that really bothers the people that look to their art to be, I want it to be set. I don't want it to change. I don't want it to evolve. I want it to be so that I can learn it and I can, I can grasp it and it doesn't ever change from underneath me. I won't ever have to update what I've learned how to do. And, and that's the feeling that I get from a lot of people in all manner of traditional martial arts. Why should I have to learn a, a different type of a strike? Why should I have to learn? Because I've already spent years learning this other thing. Why should I have to abandon that and change it to something else? And if the answer is because it works better this way, it's more efficient. It's uses less energy, higher chance of success, lower risk of failure. Um, to me, those are the answers to those questions. But, you know, uh, in my few years of doing this podcast and being on the Mar uh, the Aikido, the Marshall side forum, I've run into a lot of pushback and in other forums of why change Aikido? It, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, well, so it's perfect. That that part never really that that seems to have a, a, a logical flaw that's plain for anybody to see what art can claim that it's perfect what art can claim that it is beyond evolution or advancement and i mean even even more highwayship said that and i'm going to paraphrase this but like there there is there are no tech, techniques in aikido aikido is always evolving it will always continue to evolve and i've only scratched the surface well was that principle embraced by successive generations of aikido instructors I think they, a lot of them have lost their way from that that concept. And I think that's an important concept. Well, it is. And, and we're, we're coming up against a hard stop because I'm, I'm my father's sure. caregiver today. But I do want to mm -hmm. say something. Go back to uh, training with joy. Look, mm -hmm. if, if, if you have a dojo and your training's not fun, why, why, why would people want to keep going there? 
you know? Yeah. And if you look at the sport martial arts, um, yeah, there are hard-ass coaches out there, but it, it's usually, um, it, you know, it's usually fun. Go watch videos by Teach Me Grappling, Brian. That's yeah, a great channel, yeah. It's a fantastic channel. Um, it's not, he's not, you know, nothing wrong with Marine Corps General Instructor. I'm a Marine, you know, and, Mm-hmm. But but uh, but still, that's not how that's not what it's like in his school. At least what's been on the you know on the YouTube. Mm-hmm. So so you got to train with joy. It's got to be fun, or else why do people want to spend their time and money? Another thing is is um, I just want to get this out. If you want to compete in the marketplace against karate and Brazilian jiu jitsu and the other martial arts, and you have a, a commercial aikido dojo, ditch the hakama. Mm-hmm. It's not necessary. This isn't Japan. There aren't any samurais anymore. Not even in Japan. Ditch mm-hmm. the hakama. Just go with a regular gi. It, uh, it also makes teaching harder because your students should be able to see what your legs are doing. If they can't yeah. see what your legs are doing, they have a harder time learning. It's practical. That's, that's right. And then let's talk about instructors. <laughs> An instructor's goal should be able should be to make their students at least as good as they are if not better or else why are you teaching mm-hmm. you know why are you teaching you i mean maybe you don't have the ability as a teacher to make somebody better than you but you can make them as good as you you yeah. have that ability because you're you're at this point but that yeah. should be the goal of a teacher not and when your student muscle. gets that impression when you tell them that that tells them i have faith in you as a student that's right and all, and also mm-hmm. that that that's, that that's builds just, them you know, and that's where to get the instructor who's, you, you, you know, you must address me as super shodan, shihan, sifu, goo. No, 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 no. Those are the instructors people ought to run away from. But, but you know, that's what I think that's an instructor's obligation to, 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 to at least endeavor to bring the students up to their level, if not, if not beyond. And, and, and so I think these are these are very, very uh, important important aspects then tradition look i think that's what's harmed aikido is this idea that you have to teach exactly like the founder taught how many iterations have we been through i know that that ushiba died in what 1968 or is it later mm-hmm. than that yeah it was late 60s yeah so so yeah i mean it's not like there aren't people who are alive who, who you know knew him but it's like how many permutations it's like making a copy on a Xerox machine. Should mm-hmm. we make a copy of 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 a copy? What's the resolution by the time you get to that last copy? Mm-hmm. Well, the resolution is crap. And that's mm-hmm. what people, when they stick so close to, to tradition, because this is what the founder did or founder said, you know, and the founder himself said, you know, it's got to, you know, it's got to grow and evolve, but that's what they do. So what's the resolution coming out the other end? It's like that, you know, that, that re-Xeroxed image until it's just, you know, it's just, it's barely discernible gray on a, on a sheet of paper. And that's why a martial art has to be able to grow. It actually has to be able to grow and evolve. Doesn't mean you got to change it wholesale, but you know, there's nothing wrong with if this technique, I mean, what's the objective? I mean, what's the objective of the technique? So, I mean, if it has a specific objective, you know, there's, you know, the golf swing. Well, there is the perfect golf swing and nobody achieves perfection, but that doesn't stop people from achieving the level of being a PGA or LPGA pro. 
um, mm -hmm. which is only like 120 people every year on each of those tours. So the 220 best golfers on planet Earth that year, you know, none of them have exactly the same swing. But, you know, so this whole idea of it's got to be mechanically exactly, no, because, you know, you're way taller than I am, Tristan. So mm -hmm. your Aikido would be different from what I would be able to mention, as you mentioned before. And so the art does have to evolve. It has to take in. I mean, look at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You know, did, 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 some, did the Gracie family say, oh, you ruined BJJ because you're doing leg locks? Nope. Mm -hmm. That's not what happened. So the martial art can evolve and it's the right thing to do and we can argue about how and which direction but still it can't right. be so wedded to tradition that it becomes that that xerox copy of a xerox copy 400 times removed because mm -hmm. then you don't get good resolution on the other end so i i would i would say those things um uh for me and i, I wish i could stay longer i love this conversation but i sure. i i'm now we're now uh one hour and 15 minutes uh, plus some seconds. And so I'm mm -hmm. really going to have to push on. Um, yep. So if, if you don't mind, please, can I think we ought to maybe start wrapping it up. Yeah, well, let's do that. And before we go, I would like you to describe your new book, which just came out. I purchased a copy and I've been so busy, I haven't even gotten into it. But I would like you to describe it for our readers. I see it's on the shelf behind you. So uh, describe yeah. the, the book that you just wrote. I think I'm, the listeners would probably be interested in it. Yeah, it, I did a podcast episode uh, at invitation of Randall Davis of Kung Fu Conversations podcast to discuss uh, what what connects the ancient warrior and the modern warrior. And I did a podcast episode and ended up figuring that, you know, I'm going to turn this into a book. And I did. It's called On Warriorship, A Guide for Your Warrior Path. And the book is just that. It's a guide for somebody's warrior path, somebody who wants to learn about warriorship, somebody who wants to begin a warrior path somebody who's on the warrior path and wants to improve the warrior path. And then people like me who are, you know, obviously old warriors can recalibrate themselves to warriorship. And it's written mm -hmm. in a stated on the back of the book and uh, inside. It's written concisely in plain, uh, simple language mm -hmm. to make it available to a wide audience. And uh, you can find the book on Amazon.com. You can find the hardcover, the paperback, and the in the ebook on Amazon. You can find the paperback at BarnesandNoble.com, on ThriftBooks.com, and several other booksellers out there. And, and I encourage people who are interested in warriorship to uh, to buy the book. And uh, you know, it's got uh, you can see the Spartan helmet and the U and of course the U.S. Uh, helmet uh, there. Uh, together with a sword going through it, but it's, you don't have to be, if you look at the cover, it might be, well, I'm not a military guy. No, it's for everybody who wants to walk the warrior path. So I encourage people to, to log on to Barnes and Noble or Amazon and take a look at it. And if interested, buy one and read one. And, uh, and I hope people enjoy it. And I hope you do too, when you get around to reading it. Yes. And I'm looking forward to digging into it. I've just been, I've, this last couple of weeks, I've been running like crazy, but uh, I got my copy and I'm thrilled to, to get into it when I can sit down for a few minutes. <laughs> so, Well, Todd, thank you very much for joining me today. This has been a very fun conversation. I feel like we've only scratched the surface of it, but we really have. There, there are many considerations of how do you do a group or even re, like is, uh, titling this reimagining uh, Aikido or reimagining your training of Maybe you've gone through and are teaching for a while, and maybe it's time to re-examine what you're doing to alter things a little bit. Can you improve them a little bit? Can you make them 
make the energy in your dojo feel a little better, make it feel more welcoming, or just, you know, reinvigorate your group with, with a slight alteration to whether it's attitude or, or your practice, how you do your practices, you know, having a little bit, bit of live work. I found that my students love live play. Once I've given them the groundwork for what they should be doing within that live play and start making things work for them. And I found students love it. You know, I've run into a lot of dojos that they seem to be f- afraid of live play, but if it's structured well and, and you set your students up for success with it, they will have a blast doing it. They'll really enjoy it. Yeah. And you know, we, we've had to cancel this recording so many times. I didn't want to do it again today. I appreciate yeah. you, you having me on, you know, I always enjoy talking to you and, and I hope we can do this again. I know, you know, you're, you're a busy guy running mm-hmm. your own business and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, uh, we all have a lot of things going on, but I would love to be back on your show or have you on the Dirt Wasp podcast sometime. Cause Absolutely. I, think- I look forward to that. Both of those. Yeah, because yeah, I really enjoy talking with you. And I mean, when we've talked offline on the phone and things mm-hmm. like that, I've re- really enjoyed it. And, and I appreciate you having me on. And, uh, and uh, you know, folks watching and listening, uh, you know, buy the book. There it is. Shameless marketing right there. <laughs> That's right. There you Shameless go. Marketing. <laughs> yep. Go check it out. Uh, well, thanks very much again, Todd. And have well, a great rest up. of your day. You too. Thank you so very much. And, uh, and we'll talk again soon. Yes, we will. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, enjoy your training.